Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. We're pleased you've been able to join us. A genuine apology. It's not the words, I'm sorry. It's these words. Please forgive me. They're the key words. It seeks forgiveness, not acceptance. Forgiveness, not acceptance. Over the past couple of weeks, Dr. Corbett has been looking at forgiveness and how we are better able to forgive others. This week, we're going to turn the tables and learn how to be forgiven. It means stepping out of a position of power and intentionally taking the place of humility and repentance. This could get uncomfortable, but it's worth your attention. So let's join Dr. Corbett now as he continues his series on forgiveness. And if you are participating online, please grab that decaf skinny soy milk latte and return to your couch. It was pointed out to me that someone thought I was referring to the donut page. I was referring to the donate page. I know, that's the sigh of uh, disappointment I just heard. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, as we look at this incredibly important aspect of your gospel, of the Word of God, I pray that you would speak to us. Help me to be your instrument of truth, your instrument of your voice. And may people hear your voice. May I hide behind your word and may your word be heard really clearly. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the core hallmarks of Christianity is the concept of forgiveness. And I was really blessed by what Joe shared over communion to hear that report of someone saying, how could I not forgive after all Christ has done for me? And that's brilliant. That's actually part of the foundation of what we're looking at. And we've, we've been looking at this, that firstly, why is forgiveness such an important concept within Christianity? Why is it so critically important? And it's critically important because as we've seen, Jesus said, if you have been forgiven by God you will forgive others. And this is important to get this. The root in the ground of why we forgive is that God has forgiven us. The fruit that comes from that tree is that we forgive others. Now the point there is that some people have heard Jesus and even what I read this morning from Luke uh, chapter 6 where Jesus says, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. But the, the point isn't that we earn God's forgiveness it's not that if we if we want to be forgiven by God you actually have to forgive others so you qualify to be forgiven by God no 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 it's the other way around and that's what Christ is saying if you've been forgiven by God you will be able to forgive others and you will do it because you've been overwhelmed by God's forgiveness so this is super important and we've seen why that's important. We've also seen how we can forgive someone. And, and I've, I've taken a couple of scriptures out of Ephesians and Colossians to show that when the Bible says, forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you, Paul says, the New Testament says, that's how you forgive others. I've had times as a pastor where people you know in the prayer time that we had this morning there have been prayer times when people have come forward and said I need prayer pray for me because I am struggling 
to forgive someone in particular. And as I would chat with them before we pray, I asked questions like this, do you wish them harm? And said, no. Have you said in your heart to God, I forgive them? Yes, I have, but I'm still uh, about them. And I just, and I then ask another couple of questions and those questions go along this line. Do you trust them? And they said, no, I can't trust them after what they've done to me. And I want you to know if this is your situation, that is a perfectly natural and biblically encouraged position to have. You should never trust someone automatically. I try not to say in preaching, in counselling, in teaching, I try not to say these words, trust me. I try not to do that. Sometimes I forget and I, I say it because it's a part of the way we talk. But it's important to understand that no one deserves to be trusted until they've proven themselves. This is, this is so important. And so the Bible says we are to forgive others as God in Christ forgave us. How did God forgive us? Was his forgiveness automatic? Jesus didn't say it was. In fact, he said it's on the basis of repentance that we will be forgiven. In other words, it involves us coming before God and asking for his forgiveness and a confession of guilt, a confession of wrongdoing, and a sense of regret and remorse. So today, I want to build on that. So I, I've ne having just reminded you of what we've looked at, that this is how you forgive others. You, don't just, you shouldn't just go up to someone and say, you know that, that thing you did the, you know, some time ago, I was really hurt by that, but I want you to know I forgive you. And if their response is, I have no idea what you're talking about, then I'm not sure that, that forgiveness has been transacted in that instance. Because until someone acknowledges what they've done and they get it, there can't possibly be a transaction of forgiveness. So what that means is we need to release bitterness by forgiving them from our heart in a way that we no longer wish them ill or harm for what they've done to us. And the test of whether we've done that is whether we can genuinely pray that God blesses them. God blesses them. And this is what I've found. You can say that you've forgiven someone, but every time their name comes up in conversation and someone's just said something nice about that person, you interject with a, hmm, oh yeah, but did you know? And just complete the slander right there and that's how you know you haven't really let it go to let it go is to say God I forgive them and I pray that you bless them this is how I think we can deal with a critical spirit you ever met someone who's just critical 
They're always pulling people down. It tells me that they are a bitter person who has not yet come into that place of being able to forgive, which is good for your soul. It's good for your soul. Unforgiveness, as you've heard, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person who's hurt you to drop dead when in fact you're the one who's drinking that poison of bitterness. So when you release a person and you refuse to criticize them and tear them down with your words and behind their back and you actually begin to pray for them, that is the antidote to criticism. So when you meet someone who's sweet, chances are they pray for people to be blessed, even those who've upset them, disappointed them or hurt them. If you have a critical spirit and you want to turn that around, start praying God's blessing on those you criticise. Start praying that God would do them good. Now, I want to look at the other side of the ledger in this time together. I want to look at how to be forgiven. It's not that you have to forgive someone for the hurt done to you, it's that you've done the hurt. You've done the hurt. When I prepare a couple for marriage, I go through this with them before we, we go down the aisle. It's an important part of marriage preparation and I would say it's an important part of life preparation because I guarantee you every one of us is going to hurt someone intentionally or unintentionally and if that's not you you don't need to listen to a thing I'm about to say but I want to tell you one of my favorite stories in the New Testament one of the stories involving Christ he Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through all right get the picture he was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich he was seeking to see Jesus who Jesus was but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Or as we say today, because that's not very politically correct, we say he was vertically challenged. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So whenever you read that word sinner in the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it nearly always refers to someone who's either a prostitute or a tax collector. And Zacchaeus said, stood and said to the Lord. So get this, 
Jesus has said, I must come to your house and join with you for a meal. You know, you know food is not just about eating, right? You know a meal is not just about food, right? You know, the offer of food or the extension of hospitality involving a drink or something to eat is not whether you're thirsty or hungry. It actually says something. It says, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, as this lunch party is going on, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is, this is an, an, an amazing story because there's so much that Matthew hasn't told us and Luke hasn't told us. And here, here we have this man Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. And it's, often, it's, it's interesting how often uh, Matthew doesn't put tax collectors in a negative light in his gospel. Isn't that interesting? And it's interesting how often Luke doesn't put doctors in a negative light. Isn't that interesting? You know, when it says the woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years and had suffered mercilessly at the hand of doctors, Luke somehow didn't mention that last bit. And here we have an account of what happened, but we don't have all the details. We have just enough to get the picture. So I think we can use our imagination, and let's try to do that now. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. You don't become a chief tax collector after five minutes on the job. He's, he's somewhat experienced. And if you know anything about how tax collectors were treated in the Jewish community, they were despised. Why were they despised? Because they were agents of the oppressors. The Romans were the oppressors in the minds of Jews at that time. And anyone who was a Jew who became a tax collector became an agent of the oppressors and they were looked down upon. And as we've seen in that text, they were called sinners. Not a term thrown about too lightly. So here's the question with all of that. How might Zacchaeus had been feeling at the time when he heard Jesus was about to pass through Jericho? Now, do I need to do an air map? Yes, okay, I'll do an air map then since the crowd has unanimously said we need to do an air map. So we have the Mediterranean Ocean over here. We have Jerusalem here and we have right up to up the top here we have the northernmost border of of uh, Israel Caesarea Philippi up here we have Samaria we have Galilee Samaria and just over the border into Judea is Jericho and Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die in a in about a week or so he will be crucified so that's where we're at 
He's passing through Jericho. He has to pass through Jericho. He can't stay in Jericho because he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the timing of it is critical because Jesus Christ is going to die exactly at the time of the Passover lamb being killed. So how might Zacchaeus had been feeling at the time when Jesus was about to arrive? don't think we have to imagine too hard to think that he probably felt here's the word shunned we don't really have a culture where that's a thing maybe I'm not so sure but to be shunned is to be rejected it's to be ostracized it's to be not accepted to be shunned how else might Zacchaeus had been feeling well if he'd been doing the wrong thing which it appears he probably had because that was what tax collectors did he probably as a Jew felt shamed that he was doing this to his own people he had become rich which seems to indicate he wasn't just earning his salary he was doing a little bit more than that probably in a way that at the time he justified and the Romans probably encouraged him to justify it as well and that word that was used there to describe him is probably something that he had heard from people a lot he probably felt like he was sinful those are three really horrible words and if you can imagine feeling the weight of those words and what those words actually carry to be shunned, to be shamed and to be sinful, I guess that makes you feel alone, not accepted. We, I've heard someone say, it's all well and good for Zacchaeus to have Jesus and his 12 disciples and about the seven women that travelled with them as well over for lunch spontaneously. But what about Mrs Zacchaeus? And while that sounds, huh, I wonder if there even was a Mrs. Zacchaeus or whether he was so lonely because he was so shunned, whether he was so shamed by his community that he actually was desperately lonely and he felt not just lonely but alone as well. So, if Zacchaeus had been overcharging people, his own people, the Jews, if he'd been overcharging them their, their taxes, here's the question. Who had he wronged? Certainly hadn't wronged the Roman Empire. They, were, they would have been chuffed with him. That's, why he would have got a, that's almost certainly why he got promoted to chief tax collector. But who had he wronged? Who had he wronged? And the answer... I think is found in in another account that Luke is is telling us and when we read Luke we Luke Luke has a Luke was a doctor and, and, and he was an incredibly compassionate man and and we, we read of Jesus having compassion in in Luke's account more often than the other gospels and, and so Luke is telling us something about who Jesus is and Luke very selectively takes 
some of the parables and I think we have about 23 parables or so that Jesus told and and some of them are retold by the other gospel writers but Luke has some unique ones and they're all based on compassion all all show the heart of God and so it appears that that Zacchaeus knew that he had sinned by what he'd been doing against God and against others, against people, God and people. This, this principle is the first step in being forgiven by someone. It's the, the principle of knowing who you've sinned against. So... I've never, pastorally, as a pastor, I've never done this when someone has done something in our church that has brought shame to us as a church. I've never done it. I've seen it done. I grew up in a, after, after my time in the Anglican church and I joined that Pentecostal church in Geelong called Life Centre. There was an incident there where a friend of mine, and he was, he was a friend of mine, we, not only a friend, he, we worked together, and, but he did, he did something shameful and it involved someone else in our church and I didn't know about it but enough people knew about it in order that when both parties confessed the pastor Joe Bowes and it's the only time I've ever seen it the pastor Joe Bowes had one of the parties come before the church and publicly confess their regret for what they've done and apologise for the shame they caused the church never seen that happen again after that but I've seen it once it reminds me this this thing of sinning against God and people which is I think what Zacchaeus would have acknowledged especially based on Christ's response to him reminds me of the story of the prodigal what we call the prodigal son the prodigal son who asked for his father to give him his inheritance before he had died which is kind of like saying you know, I wish you were dead, Dad. And got it, amazingly got it, got the inheritance, went off and squandered it, it says, in riotous living. And his older brother accuses him of wasting it on prostitutes. And when he reaches rock bottom, and he's, all the money's gone, all the friends have gone, he's at the lowest point in his life, he then says this then he came to himself but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him father I have sinned against heaven and that's Dr. Luke being sensitive because Jews did not invoke the name God they swapped it for the word heaven 
I've sinned against heaven or God and before you, he would say to his father. What I have done has brought shame to you and it has brought shame to God and to both. I am in sorrow, is really what he's saying. That's the first thing. The circle of transgression is the circle of confession. That's why you don't post your confession for someone that you've hurt on Facebook. Sorry, I just expected a riotous number of people to stand up and go, Amen, but no one did. The next principle for being forgiven, having established who you have sinned against, in this instance, both God and people, is to express how you have sinned and its effect. So note the prodigal son. That we've, we've read what he was planning on saying. He didn't actually get through his prepared speech with his father. If you read the text, the father saw his heart and extended forgiveness to him immediately before he could even finish his confession. But this is a part of it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which is a way of saying, I have brought great shame to you, Father. Treat me as one of your hired servants, which is a way of saying, I repent and I am humbled in my response to you. How did Zacchaeus do it? How did Zacchaeus transact this forgiveness? Zacchaeus it says, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. By the way, this is one of the key texts of prison fellowship where they encourage prisoners to acknowledge the hurt they've caused those for whom the reason they are in prison. They need to understand that. And here Zacchaeus is saying, I now realise that I have shamed you, Heavenly Father, and I have shamed my people, my fellow countrymen. And to make recompense for that, it's, I, I acknowledge the hurt I've caused and this is the restitution I'm going to do. I'm going to give away half of my wealth. And for those that I have defrauded, if I charge them $2 instead of $1 tax, I'm going to give them back $4. I'm going to give fourfold, fourfold, restore fourfold to anyone that I've defrauded. What does this tell us? It tells us that there was regret and repentance from both of these examples that Dr. Luke gives us. So the next principle for being forgiven is to express regret and repentance. Regret and repentance. Now, regret and repentance are two essential components of 
a genuine apology. Have you ever listened to um, Parliament? You ever watched Parliament on the ABC? You ever listened to it? No one? Am I the only one? Okay, don't look at me like that. But sometimes the Speaker of the House will say, uh, would the Honourable Member please apologise to the Honourable Member on the other side of the chamber, please? And it will go something like this. He gets up, he goes to the podium, he says, I apologise. <laughs> Don't you feel the weight of emotion in that? Have you ever, parents, been at a Christmas, you know, come to church in the morning and we all know that the Bible says you can't open Christmas presents until you've been to church in the morning and then you go home for lunch and grandma's there and grandma's given your child a handkerchief and the child excitedly unwraps the gift and it's a crocheted handkerchief (laughs) it's like what's this (laughs) oh what kind of stupid present is this Little flower embroidered in the That's top corner. That's all we corner. have time for tonight. If you'd like to obtain a CD and you say copy to your child, download of tonight's discussion, don't be like that. please pop over to our Apologize website, org and select Forgiveness Sorry. Part 2 from Grandma. our online store. As we've heard tonight, the Old Testament the prophets love. foretold that forgiveness would be one of the hallmarks of the new covenant. I had to something ridiculous just in case I got God too close to the to bone for anyone who's actually been, been in so that situation. An unconditionally a genuine God. apology, on the other Welcome hand, Dr. Corbett next week involves regret and repentance. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana so Christian Church I and president of ICM Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining apologize. us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the because same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Quite actually, could not even contain the words "I'm sorry" and still be a very genuine apology. If you think an apology, go and apologise. I'm sorry. And especially if you throw in the negating word, which means the word that cancels out whatever you think you've just done, and it's the word, but. I'm sorry, but if you hadn't, then I wouldn't. The apologist goes, that's not an apology. If you want to know how to apologise, Listen closely. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, which was actually his fourth letter to the Corinthians. In between 1 and 2 Corinthians is another letter which he refers to in 2 Corinthians, which we don't have, in which case he lays it down and he says, this is what you've done wrong. It's disgraceful. It's shameful. You should never have done it. It is unbecoming a Christian and I am deeply ashamed of you for doing this it's called scholars call it the severe letter and we don't have it but we know it's there because Paul's about to refer to it in 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 and this is what he says as it is I rejoice not because you were grieved by that letter but because you were grieved into repenting For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces 
repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So here, Paul is, is saying, if you want to get this right, if you want to transact forgiveness here, there's got to be repentance and you've got to regret what you've actually done, which means there are times, for example, when I'm trying to reconcile a husband and wife and the husband might say, I don't get it. I have apologized to her. She's a Christian. She should just forgive me and we just forget about it and move on. And if that's how you think about the conflicts and disputes you have, listen up. Because what I try to do in that situation with, with a couple, and it could be the husband, it could be the wife, it doesn't matter, is to have either one understand it's not simply a matter of saying the words, even the words, I'm sorry. It's a matter of understanding what your actions, your words, your attitude did to the other person. And to then be able to see the hurt that's caused and to be able to acknowledge the hurt that's caused and to be able to explain to the person, I now get it, I've heard you. So a genuine apology expresses regret for the hurt heard. The hurt heard. That's an important part of being forgiven by another person is you've heard them say, this is how that made me feel. For example, a wife invites some friends over for afternoon tea or a coffee or whatever and the husband sees them come to the door gets up from the lounge room and leaves and goes out to the workshed and the wife was hoping to introduce him to her friends has she been hurt by him getting up going out to the shed to do well really to hide the answer is yes and there might be husbands who go really I thought that's what blokes did. You may need to just check with your wife whether that's what blokes should do. A genuine apology expresses repentance. And that's what we saw with the prodigal son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. That's all I deserve to be. And it expresses possible restitution. That's what Zacchaeus did. I'll give half of my wealth to the poor and if I've defrauded anyone, four times is the amount I will give them. A genuine apology, it's not the words I'm sorry, it's these words. Please forgive me. They're the key words. It seeks forgiveness, not acceptance. Forgiveness, not acceptance. So we see in 1 John 1.9, this is how we are to approach God because we need to be forgiven by God and others. And this is what it says in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And that's got to be the most awesome thing you'll ever hear today. That no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter who knows what you've done, but you know that you have done wrong and you need to be forgiven, there is a God in heaven who promises this. If you confess to him, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And not only that, he will cleanse you from the guilt and shame you've incurred from it. Father, I pray that every one of us would seek and know how to seek your forgiveness with you and with those we have hurt, hurt by our words, hurt by our actions, hurt by our attitudes. That, Father, you would help us, enable us by your Spirit to be a people who can restore relationships, not destroy relationships who can reconcile with those whom we've become alienated with because of our wrongdoing. And Father, I pray, especially as we learn to do that with each other, to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us, that Lord, there would be something really rich about the love and the grace and the mercy to be found here in this church. And I pray, Father, that we, your people, would know how to find forgiveness with you. That we would recognize that Christ has died for our guilt and our shame and our sin. And just as Christ said to Zacchaeus, he is now a son of Abraham. In other words, he is one of us. That people will find acceptance here forgiveness, acceptance and love in Jesus name and as I've been doing each week I've been building this prayer that we're, we're praying at the end of each service and perhaps you've never sought forgiveness from God and I want to teach you this prayer and you'll see it on the screen and it says Father God I regret my sins against you please forgive me Help me from this point to live for you and to grow in my knowledge of you and to share your love and forgiveness with others and help me to forgive those who hurt me and to seek forgiveness for those I have hurt. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. Before I pronounce the benediction, if that has been the prayer that you've just prayed for the first time, we want to help you. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you a book that will help you to navigate the Bible. And we want to pray with you. It was last Sunday that I was hoping that Mr. and Mrs. Piest would have been here. Because last Monday they celebrated their sixth wedding anniversary just for the audio guys ramp that applause up on the live stream so they think everybody went berserk well done well done father 
thank you for the reminder that you are the forgiving God, the merciful God, the loving God. And now may we know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. As we've heard tonight, the principle for being forgiven is to know who you have sinned against and to express regret and repentance. More from Dr. Corbett next week with more on forgiveness. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.